you know, it's been a while since we've recorded. Now, I want to I want to make sure we get this in. So we're going to start off with this, uh, you know, uh, in place of my usual zany joke. Well, first of all, let me apologize. I'm not going to have time to edit this. So this is just going to be like uh, what you see is all there is, except see with your ear holes, oh, not, not your eyeballs. We're good. We're gonna ship it live. Yeah, there's, there's probably not gonna be any chapter markers in here. I know, I know, all of our listeners extensively use the chapter markers that I laboriously put in into the show notes. Not even the show notes directly into the episode. But so I apologize that. But what I want to know, Matt Ray, you've been yes. traveling extensively over in the whole other side of the world. Just give us a flavor. What's going on business travel wise? Have you learned anything? <laughs> Have you? Uh, uh, do you have a new one bag yeah. solution? What's your approach to the security over there? Like, what? Uh, what, what's going on? Give us some tips. Okay, so uh, since our, our last recording, I I have flown five airlines in one month. And I think that's that, that wraps it up. Uh, I flew uh, Hawaiian Airlines, um, and I flew uh, I flew Qantas, of course. Um, I also got to fly Emirates for the first time, and I've also got to fly uh, JL and uh, Jetstar. So that's been my, my month of, of travel. Uh, wow. The, the passport's getting full. I got uh, five countries in, in four weeks, so that was, that was pretty good. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. What kind, of, what kind of advice can I give you? If we stack rank those airlines, like from, from uh, worst to best um, – Jetstar's got to be at the bottom. You know, they're a low-cost carrier, uh, similar to Frontier, I guess, in the U.S. Like, you know, they're going to nickel and dime you for everything. Um, but if you, you know, if you go ahead and just pay up and, and, you know, pay for everything, it's almost as much as a Qantas ticket, and then you have an okay experience. But if you're One World uh, and you've got One World status, like uh, Sapphire Emerald, usually you can get into the Qantas lounge with your status. I'm, I'm hitting about 50% on that. Sometimes they'll let me in. Sometimes they'll say, oh, no, we don't allow you. You know, One World doesn't transfer over to Jetstar. Completely arbitrary as far as I can tell. Oh, um, you're, you're saying you fly on Jetstar, but you get into yeah. a Qantas lounge. Right, right, right. With your, with, with your American Airlines status. <laughs> yes, that's some brave hustling on your part. But I guess, you know, hey, what, el- what else are you going to do in the airport? You know what? I if you got if you if you have the status the the you have to just use it for all its worth because you you know life short. How long are you going to have this? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What what else are you going to do? Sit around the airport eating marmite or whatever it is they do over there? Vegemite, Cote, Vegemite, marmite's the, what Vegemite. they eat in the UK. Oh, in the UK. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you know. Um, Lesson learned, I'm probably going to avoid Jetstar as much as I can and just stick with Qantas because that's, you know, that's my, my one-world carry over here. Um, I also learned that if you if you book with Qantas, you may get put on Emirates, which is okay. Emirates is mighty fine. They would be at the top of the list, right? But if you book a Qantas flight through Emirates, you can't get one-world points for it. Hmm. Mm, yes, the wow. old uh, <laughs> the old booking trick. Yes, yes. That's and nice. I finally, yeah. So 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 that 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 bit me. Uh, I don't want to. Well, I feel like you skipped over the Emirates. I've I have not had the pleasure of flying it. I have only been told that it's like just like the greatest experience ever. Can you confirm or deny or? Like, uh, so just so how I, good is it? So I flew Emirates with my family uh, to New Zealand. And it was mighty fine. I mean, you know, when you're traveling with your family, you're probably not going to spring for, you know, economy plus, you know, unless you're a family of, you know, one or two. Uh, I'm a family of five. So uh, five tickets would have been, you know, kind of pricey for a three hour flight. But they, uh, it was a, what's the A380? Is that the double decker? Oh, wow. The big one. Yeah. Yeah. It was the big one. And um, I was in row 45, which, is right up in the front because they've got, you know, 40, 40 rows up top. Um, so I was, you know, three, three, three seats away from the, the captain. And, uh, it was the nicest economy I've ever been in by far. Um, I mean, they, there was, there was free Wi-Fi on the flight. There were a thousand movies to choose from. There were, uh, want to say 15 meal choices before we logged it, before we boarded, you know, you could like, if you went to the website and chose your meals, um, I signed up for the, uh, the 
Asian seafood meal. Um, I got my my children the the children's meals, except for my daughter who's vegetarian. I got her the uh, she prefers the Asian vegetarian over the standard ovo lacto vegetarian. Um, they also had a wide assortment of halal. Um, they had low sodium halal. You know, in case you're into that. Um, I mean, it was like ridiculous. Wow. It's quite and the then, experience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it got better, you know. And so it was like. Uh, one of the things, nice things about Qantas is, you know, they don't skimp on the drinks. They, you know, even on a flight to, to Melbourne, which is in, you know, an hour in the air, they're going to come by and, and, you know, hit you up with a drink cart two or three times. And it's, you know, it's, it's beer and wine and liquor. Well, they uh, are an Australian airline, right? So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, so is Jetstar, but Jetstar's like, you want a water? $4, right? Bam. Um, bam. But, but Skywater, uh, but Emirates, that sounds great. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so Emirates came through, and we had uh, we had a meal and a snack, and the drink cart came by three times on a three-hour flight. Um, free Wi-Fi, lots of movies, um, and then you know my kids are just sitting there minding their own business, and they came by and give them like kids travel packs that were these little mm. carrying cases that had uh, some you know crossword puzzles and, and coloring books and like and you know little tour guide of, of New Zealand. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And uh, yeah, yeah, so, so Emirates yeah. is the top of the list. I mean, that, that, is like, uh, that is like some Don Draper error shit right there. That's, that's, uh, I know, that's and I was stuff. an economy. Yeah. Yeah, so. What's going um, on in business class? Am I right? Exactly. Like, what are they doing upstairs? Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, um, Emirates is mighty fine. Uh, unfortunately, not one world. Uh, but uh, Etihad, Etihad, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I'm sure our listeners will tell me. Um, is an America as a United Arab Emirates uh, carrier, just like Emirates, uh, and they are one world. So I've been looking up to see if I can get on, on them at some point to see where they go. Uh, unfortunately, from Sydney, they go to like Europe and the Middle East. Mm. Um, not a lot of uh, Australia to Australia flights well well that sounds delightful well, well to, to to close out that topic and and to return to the baseline of what what we're doing over in the uh in 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 the uh wherever it is we live how would you describe where we are brandon the uh the old school west not the uh not the extended west <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think here's 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 my tips I've discovered that probably because of the merger of American Airlines and whatever the one that everyone's now forgotten, U.S. Airways, basically, unless you're executive platinum, you're fucked. Like, there's no overhead bin space or anything. So uh, you either need to check your bags or uh, make sure that you aggressively get on the plane after the, uh, I don't know, the the Platinum Pro people or whatever they've got this whole yeah, other tier. Those guys. Yeah, now they've also annoyingly switched over to just group numbers. Uh, I guess because they're trying to seem more egalitarian or something. So, whatever they don't call out uh, metallurgical things. And uh, <laughs> so you know, if you got a one bag, that's fine. Then then you can hang out and you don't suffer from overhead bin space stuff. And I'll put a link to this, but there was there was a uh, a delightful story. Usually you just hear stories about how uh, airline executives and people are terrible. But there was a nice story uh, – well, I wouldn't say it's nice, but it's a good counterbalance to that – of how uh, you know American Airlines decided to give all of its employees a raise and Wall Street just shat over the whole idea. So uh, right, as, right. As, as, like, as I tweeted, <clears throat> this is why we can't have nice things. It's just like I, I'm not I mean, really – The whole airline industry. Yeah. I'm, the I'm, whole I'm, airline. All their stocks went down because America was like, you know what, 4% raises for yeah, everybody. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, whatever jackasses were writing, having their interns write those PDFs up in Manhattan, they should uh, start flying in economy minus class <laughs> and uh, change their mind around. But whatever. No doubt. Maybe one day I'll fly in Southwest, but I feel like that's just I, I I don't know. I'm gonna need some therapy to get to that point. You know, a few one hours. It's fine. It's a nice experience. It really is. You, you, you won't have any issue flipping over. All right. All right. All right. Well, I mean, you can do it. Yeah. Well. Well. Uh, it's been it's been almost a month, maybe exactly a month since we recorded last. Now there's been a lot going on. We had. Uh, we had the DockerCon going on, so just like as every episode, we can just talk about containers and Dockers the whole time. Uh, this this week, uh, Red Hat has its summit going on. I think that's over in uh, in Boston. I have to admit, I haven't caught up on all the stuff. I started reading some of the uh, the OpenShift.io and sort of um, 
a direct integration with AWS. There's actually a, a good a good post <coughs> earlier in the week from Brian Gracely, uh, kind of going over the momentum of of uh, of Red Hat OpenShift stuff. Now, in case you don't know, they're basically a competitor of Pivotal, so you know I'm interested in what they're doing nominally, even though I just said I haven't caught up on it. But uh, you know his 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 post was a pretty good roundup. And I don't think Red Hat's still not at the point where they're super clear about what their revenue is. They do that weird thing that if you did some Monte Carlo simulations in an Excel spreadsheet, you could have some bands for revenue where they're like, we had five deals in the past quarter that were somewhere between zero and 20 million. And I mean, I'm I'm joking, but like that is one way of kind of reporting on momentum that they have, but they're probably doing all right, uh, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but um you know, they also have some stuff like I, I think the thing that I'm trying to figure out is they have a uh, we we have a notion uh, in Pivotal. Everyone's got this notion eventually called a circle of code, which is basically they used to call this ALM more or less back when developers didn't have to care about operations. So just this notion of exactly it's very exciting application lifecycle management for those following along at home. The next thing you should go look up is ITSM. See what that stands for. That's that's a that's an exciting <laughs> hole you can go dive down. So- software defined talk bingo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, American Airlines is beyond there too. One world. Oh, that, that's a center square. <laughs> that's right. So anyhow, uh, you know, it's this notion of like when you're doing software and deploying it, there's all the stuff you need. And so far, that's how I've seen some of the OpenShift IO stuff described. They've even been using the phrase IDE, a phrase I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, but that that sounds. Uh, I'll have to delve into that, and maybe next episode we won't talk about it, but uh, we'll we'll get more up to speed on it. Now, before I'm sure we'll get to the Docker stuff, which is or the container world things. There was also a lot of uh, was the, I think it was this week. There was a bunch of earnings about uh, about cloud companies. Now, I'll summarize it, and then and then y'all, as always, add in whatever uh, you know whatever commentary you want. It seems like they're making a fuck ton of money. Uh, with, in in pure profit, and yep. you know, as someone who I'm I'm fond of joking about, sort of like lived through the uh, the first wave of the cloud wars. It is like it's always terrible to do sort of like uh, non time machine enabled retro uh, armchair strategizing, but it really it's it's I still am not sure how all the big vendors like missed out on on this uh, this sheer amount of cash. I mean. I guess I know that the way the other way of putting it is is like oh that innovators dilemma sure do put a bite on you like it is uh no one can really get over that like to use one of my favorite analogies right it's like every single human you ever see in a zombie moving movie right like the universe of zombie movies does not have zombie movies that exist in them no one's ever seen a zombie movie in those movies because they don't recognize <laughs> that there's a zombie similarly any any long term space travel movie, the engineers who came up with the cryo containers, they never have seen a space opera movie because what you learn is that every single time there's a cryo container, there's going to be a crack in it and a plot will develop. So you want to double down on the QA for your cryo containers. And in that right. sense, I guess there was no public cloud movies for uh, all those people to be watching back in 2009 to about 2010 or so, 2011. Well, you know, there there is a, an interesting analogy there of, of like you know the cloud is now the uh, unstoppable horde of zombies that just you know keeps growing and growing and growing. But the source of the cloud's revenue is they're just taking it away from the enterprises, right? I mean, you know, they it's not like you know how did how do we miss out on this new train? It's just oh they took our lunch, mm. you know. So all the money that that is moving into the cloud, I mean. Yeah, it's all the new growth, but a lot of it is just coming straight out of, you know, your your IBM's, HP, Cisco's, you know, traditional, you know, large-scale vendors. They're hurting. And, you know, they, they had to make that whole, uh, you know, um, it was that innovator's dilemma thing where you have to start, uh, you know, doing the self-sacrifice and, and, and eating your own or, you know, cut into your own revenues at the, uh, you know, so you're future-proofing your business, and they didn't, or they didn't aggressively enough, um, or you know they got uh, completely disrupted by somebody who had no, 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 nothing they had to protect. And yeah. so here we are today, and Amazon is is, you know, they're on track to be unstoppable. <laughs> do you, I think I mean <clears throat> some of that's I mean that's definitely the the trajectory. I do think though, like to uh, 
you know, to, to go to my favorite phrase, the halo effect, the, the thing that I think we are missing a little bit around that is going back in time and saying, like, I don't know if it was so much like Amazon was so smart, but it was like the conditions around they were building the world's uh, biggest online retailer, right? So almost by definition, they, you know, started to build out this infrastructure and, you know, what we now know as cloud computing, you know, for themselves, right? And I don't think, I would say in this case, like, most of the major vendors, right? Like, it's not like people, you know, ignored it or didn't know about it. It's just they did not have the forcing function to build as aggressively because um, they didn't have, like, a world's largest you know, retailer inside, right? So I think Amazon, and I think you go back, if you read, you know, some of the different things around how AWS was launched, it was, you know, Jeff Bezos and now the CEO of AWS were kind of always going between different groups and they were, these different groups were complaining about not having enough infrastructure and, you know, building different things. And that's really where that idea came from. Now, I think the place that they, you know, you can give them a lot of credit was they sort of, there was, and again, this is covered in that book, right? There was this point of time where, you know, should they launch AWS as a separate business? They were basically building all this. And I think at that point, they even kind of say it's not necessarily, you know, sort of like a 50-50 thing. Like, people were kind of split. They were like, Do we, can we afford, like, 50 people? It's a really small number. When I mean, you read that book, it's, like, it's so funny. It's like, do we have enough, you know, can we put 50 people on this to get it going, right? And they decided to do it. And that's a point where, like, maybe that was a coin flip decision at the time, but it's gone on to be, you know, like just, a, you know, it's returned, you know, just a hundredfold, right? So um, I think this is just another example of, like, to a large extent, they were sort of led down the path, you know, through their own needs. And now that has sort of like blossomed into a much bigger thing. And I do think, you know, like I said, I'm, I think we'll, all of us were at different places where people talked a lot about it. But I think it's just a lot different to talk about building something for other people for, versus building, having to build it for yourself. Um, and that's what's given them such a big lead. And that's what's kind of propelled them to their success. So, I mean, good for them, but I think also like very unique situation, right? Very few other companies yeah. were facing that. And maybe Google's the one um, that we could point to that was in a similar spot, but only now are they getting around to really do it in a serious way. Yeah, that's that's right. a good that's a good little data point to to uh, craft up a, a story of what was happening. Now, despite me saying that, you know, people uh, they're in they're analogously in a universe where there are no zombie movies, and then there's a zombie outbreak. I think. There were a lot of people trying things, a lot of companies. I mean, I was just reading this morning that uh, Verizon is selling off its basically its cloud stuff to IBM, which is a whole other interesting bag of, of fun. Uh, but there are numerous attempts at uh, at cloud things. I mean, I sort of, I guess maybe infamously, famously, you know, uh, Docker started off as a uh, as a cloud company, and it seems like going off of what you're saying, I guess, I guess what turned out to be effective in the uh, the universe that we exist in was you're going to have to spend just two things. One, you're going to spend a lot of money up front before you make a profit for several years, just building out data centers and stuff. Like it's just very, very intensive. So if as an organization, a company you're allergic to big capital outlays, then that's probably going to be a problem. Like you're not going to like yep. getting in this business. Uh, and then the second thing, um, which is hard to sort of like put some analysis on is, well, it's really hard technically to build all this stuff and keep it running. <laughs> and so uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I don't know nowadays what the positive version of hero culture is in like our, our squishy DevOps world. Like I get very confused about how much you're supposed to take uh, expertise as, as a valuable thing versus like we're all just sitting around a campfire enjoying our scotch. But you're going to need some really smart people who know what the fuck they're doing and also have a process that will allow them to discover how to do new things. And those people are rare and cheap, uh, especially the people who manage that situation and set up an organization such that they can thrive. Uh, so those are things you've got this very rare, this rare, rare thing on the other side skills. And then also it's going to be really expensive. So I don't know, putting on my enterprise strategy hat, thinking on a quarter by quarter, or maybe even 12 month basis, that sounds like a whole lot of, I don't fucking want to touch it. Right. Like <laughs> that's, that's yeah, like, that's yeah, a, I mean, and, and, and then, and then going off what Brandon was saying, um, Unless senior management, all the way up to the board and the CEO, maybe not the board, but at least so that so that you have strong leadership, 
you have to build in that kind of situation you have to build up an intuition just kind of you can make all the charts and powerpoints and six page memos with uh you know 20 pages of appendix that you want but like you have to build up an intuition that like we should try this and if you are someone like an amazon or a google you've actually by nature of your business you've seen why putting up you know building a cloud if you will is effective and how productive it is so you've kind of proven to yourself that this is a good idea and then you only have to make the leap to selling that as a thing that you do on your own well and 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 you know, in Amazon's case, they had, you know, it was it was not their primary focus, and that allowed them to have, you know, the the coverage to, to make a, a side bet, you know, and, and AWS was a side bet, and and Google, you know, they were just like, hey, we have this existing infrastructure, let's let's light it up and and, and you know, clean it up, and make it available, and Microsoft's case was more along the lines of. You know, we we see. You know, we're reading the tea leaves. We can see what's going on. Um, we can do this too. And so, you know, each one of them already. None of them started as cloud first, right? So, if you think about who's actually, you know, made the straight bet of cloud, you know, you got all your your OpenStack companies and stuff like that. DigitalOcean, maybe. But other than that, it's like the the barrier to entry is really high. So you need to have you need to have appetite for a huge amount of capital expenditure and risk. And, you know, I think, I think that's going to stop there from being, you know, anybody except the deepest of pockets. And, and so, you know, Alibaba, Huawei, um, they make sense, you know, who else could do it, you know, Apple or Facebook maybe, but at this point, like it just keeps getting harder and harder to get in the game. Mm, yeah. yeah, but I, I do think that coupled with like being forced into it, like if your desire is to be the the world's largest, you know, online retailer, you know, you just by definition, you've, you're taking on a huge capital outlay, like you're almost you're really close to making a whole, you know, cloud computing platform period, right. just because you need it. Yeah. So, so it's not that big a leap to be like, hey, we're doing this. And then, you know, kind of this notion of like, you know, there's, you know, there's always the like, uh, the found, you know, the startup stories we like to hear, but I think a lot of times, like the story is like we were building this thing, and then we figured out, oh, this other thing that we need would be useful to others. You could say that's a story of AWS, right? You could say that's a story of Slack, right? They started yep. as a game company, they built this messaging thing. Now people are using Slack, um, and you see this happen quite a bit, where a company sees something and then they're building something for themselves, and then they realize that need. Uh, is so big, right? And I think, you know, like you know, maybe Matt Ray, you can tell the story of Chef, right? I think a lot of this, you know, comes out of that same idea, right? People are starting to do, we're doing all the scripting and, oh, we're going to build our own thing and it can become its own company. So, you know, while we always want to like have this moment of like, there's this, this genius entrepreneur who just saw it all happen. A lot of times it's, I'm doing this other thing and then I, oh, I discover, or I get familiar with a problem that lots of other people have and now i'm really yeah. qualified to go f- fix it and then you know in re- in retrospect we then go back and be like oh we think that's like great strategy right and it's like well there was probably a good a couple of good decisions coupled with some really good opportunity and timing there and a fair amount of luck yeah um and that that brings us back to docker <laughs> isn't there <laughs> Who, isn't, know, isn't there some simpsons episode where two trucks run together and make some new new combination matt ray <laughs> Is it chocolate with peanut butter? I mean, that would be the logical <laughs> thing. But I'm imagining it's some sort of like uh, some some idea Homer comes up with, with like, you know, I don't know. Wouldn't it be great if beer came together with like little apple pies or something? <laughs> and, and I have no idea. I, I don't recall that one. <laughs> yeah, that, but I do think, you know, that I do think, you know, sort of half joking, but half true. Like it feels like many of like the the, the different uh, pharmaceutical, you know, medications that are created, like it, it feels like a lot of times it's the story, right? Like people are trying to treat illness X and then they realized, oh, like I think, <laughs> I think just to take it completely off topic, I think Viagra was started out as some other, uh, you know, uh, fixing some other problem, right? And, and they're like, oh, it also does this other thing that people are really worried yeah. about. So, uh, you know, I, you know, that does seem like, again, like no one likes to hear that. There aren't any lot of books to say like, hey, just wait for some random event to happen and, um, you know, be astute to, uh, to see it and capitalize on it versus like, you know, do, you know, create these 50 PowerPoint slides and you always be right, you know? So, well, but, uh, but, but, but I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, maxims of, you know, uh, colloquialisms around, you know, success is, uh, you know, what it was it, 
eighty percent of success is showing up, and and you know the the Edison one about you know success is ninety nine percent perspiration, one percent inspiration. You just got to kind of keep grinding in a problem space, and then you know these things. If you're lucky, if you're in the right place at the right time, if you're you know doing well, you're going to stumble across these things and and you know right. everyone will call you a genius but you have you know chances are good you were grinding away in the problem space and found you know found that 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 uh that vein of of, of, of gold yeah yeah no i'm with you i think the thing i the stuff i just you know just to keep it on amazon for one more moment the stuff i just hate right is the the classic just the trademark halo effect like you know jeff bezos you know wrote wrote his annual shareholder letter and, and like in it he said something like you know typically you you should make a decision with 70 percent of the information you want right and it was then like quoted like i don't know eight billion times across all kinds of different you know sources and people are emailing around and it's just like i just think to myself if if i brandon witcher had sent this out to everyone like hey guys you should make decisions with that like everyone has just thought told me i was just a dumbass right and it's like you know like whether that's a good decision or not, it's just just that just gets so annoyed with this stuff, right? Like you know, like I I don't think that has anything to do with being successful or not. You know, it's like yeah. fine, fine, you make decisions with the information you have, right? It's like no shit. So um, if we could just separate <laughs> the uh, you know the some of the success from some of this just mindless you know like repeating of like of uh, this you know the halo or this the hero ceo it's just you know i just can't yeah. i just get so tired of seeing that well story. well before before we get to uh the rich vein of gold of content for us and, and everything else the two things one i hope that uh witchard incorporated's financial year is not the calendar year so that i can look forward to your upcoming annual shareholder letter <laughs> i want i want to read through that and uh, and two, you know, I, I think I think uh, this is this is like uh, what's becoming a reoccurring rant for me, and I, I should be careful about it. But like, I think part of the problem you're identifying, Brandon, is just like uh, the tech press we have is not very good, right? Like, like I was I was looking up I don't want to name names, but I was looking up just some information for something that I was writing. I went to one of these sites where they start playing a video automatically. And they oh. were uh, they were interviewing you know it was some big stage production with comfy chairs and really good lighting, and they were interviewing some cloud executive. I'm trying to really not you know point fingers here, and just like the questions they were asking were so like stupid, right? There was no like there's no like context for anything or sort of like how did you do this or like tell me things. It, it just they're just terrible, and so it's an easy narrative. Uh, to sort of like ask these uh, these silly things like, hey guys, did you see that Jeff Beze Bezos said that you should do things with only 70% knowledge? I had thought you have to do it with 100% knowledge, right? <laughs> like it's just these kind of like ridiculous uh, things. That's that's why sort of like longer form things like podcasts, if you find the right ones are good because there's there's a lot more room for commentary and people to kind of like add all the nuance. That's why you've listened this far to us talking about this nonsense. <laughs> Anyhow, well, there was, the there was, nonsense. I have been looking forward as always to having Matt Ray on here so he can explain two things. One, uh -oh. now it's, it's also been long enough that I've actually read it. So I think I understand it. So you get, you, you, we had the Docker con. This is like two weeks ago. I've lost track, uh, sometime and in, in April. Now the two big things, as I recall, tell me if I'm wrong. One, they, uh, they announced this Moby approach. Uh, and then two, they have Linux kit. Now, let me try to uh, let me let me uh, channel the, you know a Plotzian moderator and try to summarize it, and then and then as Brandon's always instructing me, I'll try to prompt who should talk, but it's probably not going to work out. Uh, like so, I think Linux Kit is like inside your container. Uh, you got to have some Linux in there. No, the other way around. Your, wow. conta your container wow. has to run in Linux. Is that is that how it works out? But you need an OS yeah. on the metal to run your containers. I always forget if it's in or out. And then so you need a way of defining what that Linux is, and that's what Linux Kit does. Yes. All right. See, I, that was the first mistake I made because I said, "Oh, Linux Kit. We're gonna we're gonna build our own Linux distro inside the container." And I was like, "Huh. I wonder how we can use that with Habitat, right? Because that's you know uh -huh. Habitat builds on top of." Uh, Distri you know, on top of uh, BusyBox Linux, which is you know empty, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe we can use this. Maybe this is going to go down that path. Unikernels? No, this is we want to build a host OS. You know, we want to build um, 
our own container Linux. You know, CoreOS renamed their uh, CoreOS Linux to uh, Container Linux because mm. it's just the host, the container host. Oh, that's and, good. That's that's those and, the and, uh, their marketing people are on overdrive over there. <laughs> you may want to listen to about five episodes ago where, where we gave them kudos for that. Um, but uh, and then. I don't think I put it in the show notes, but Google had an announcement about having a um, a Google optimized container host Linux as well, um, and, and for for running on GKE and, or you know running your own uh, uh, Kubernetes stuff on top of on top of Google. So it's it's not. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a fair, and then Red Hat's got uh, Atomic. Um, so they've got, you know, they're like four or five Linuxes already kind of in that space of they are optimized to run and host containers. Right. Now, I, w- I was going to ask about the Atomic stuff because I never really fully understood it. But I remember several years ago, this must have been in 2015 when I was still an analyst, like they came out with Atomic. And I was like, I don't really understand what this means, but it seems like a good idea. It, it sort of makes sense, yeah. but but that that makes sense. It's it's the layer between your your underlying hardware, virtual or not, I guess. That probably right. doesn't make sense, and the thing that's actually running containers. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's what they put out there. Um, I mean, that that's part of that's part of the stack. So Moby. So um, Moby is is the overarching project for all the pieces that go into the commercial Docker product. And so now what they've done is they said, you know, we've, we've built up this huge community around Docker as an open source thing. And now we're going to do this, you know, uh, three card Monty, of, you know, switching out, you know, switching out what was open source. The thing that you call Docker is no longer open source. And what, what is right. open source is Moby, and so whenever if, if you find any anything pre April of 2017 where they say Docker, you just say Moby. Now right? is it um, is this is this like a CentOS thing, like where yes. it's all the same well, code no. and it's just compiled no, different? No, or like it, what? No, no, no. It, it's it's the closest thing is Fedora. Or maybe, um, or maybe Eclipse, right? Like the way, uh, speaking of IDEs, like oh, in theory, if you wanted to put together a commercial IDE, you could take all the Eclipse components. There's a, there's a little company up in Genua Tech, up in Flower Mound, Texas, yeah. that does this. And they just assemble together all the open source stuff and maybe add like a wafer thin layer of uh, proprietary code. And hey, presto, you got a, uh, uh, an open core project or something. Flower Mound IDE. Um, I, yeah, I... Probably, um, you know, it, it's so, so, so the, the Moby project is an umbrella for, I don't know how many projects it is to start with, but it's, uh, it's a bunch, right? It's all the little pieces. So it's, it's things like the host OS. Um, I think they put container D in there. Uh, I, you know, they put some of the networking stuff in there. Um, so, so I, I, I cut you off. But uh, but explain how Fedora works versus Red Hat. Linux. Oh, okay. So Fedora is the open source Linux distribution that they release every six months, like clockwork. And this is where Red Hat related development happens. And, and and so what happens is all the open source you know craziness happens in Fedora and. You know, every six months they kind of pull it together, make a release out of it, and you're not expected to really run it long term. Um, it, it's it's you know it's 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 a mo- it's a rolling open source release, uh, and then what happens out of that is the Red Hat distro kind of says, well, every you know four years or so we're going to take a Fedora release and we're going to look you know we're going to take it and harden it. And, and we're going to clean it up and make that a major Red Hat release. And, and so Fedora is kind of the, you know, the open source playground where a lot of ideas get fleshed out in public and people can you know, hammer on them. Um, and then Red Hat becomes like you know, the, the long-term stable branch of that. I see. So, uh, so, so with, with, with right. Fedora comes out every six months and there might be things in there that uh, don't end up in the official release. 
or exactly. bugs that get fixed or whatever. But if you want to be as 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 they like to say, the bleeding edge, uh, and also right. not pay Fedora's... for anything, and also not pay for right. anything, you could use Fedora and uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, have and so so Red Hat's paid developers are in Fedora. <clears throat> um, you know, they're also in Red Hat, and then. So, so what happens is, you know, they, they pull it all together and they make this, uh, you know, this commercial Red Hat Linux, you know, Red Hat server or Linux product. But what CentOS does, which is, you know, why this is a distinction, is CentOS takes the Red Hat source and just builds the same thing without the words Red Hat in it. Right, right. So right. CentOS so is basically CentOS- binary compatible with RHEL. And you also don't get support, uh, yeah. of course. Right, 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 right. So, so CentOS and Scientific Linux, to a lesser extent, are you know they are the same thing as Red Hat. I see. Um, so, so um, that so uh, analogously, I mean, that's what's going on with Moby. Is alternatively, uh, to use classic open core stuff, Docker could have had the uh, the open Docker, right? That was all purely yeah. open source and built, and then there would be enterprise Docker, which. Which yeah. is basically their own packaging of all of this stuff, but instead of having those two brands, they've introduced a—I uh, don't know what direction it goes—a superset brand <laughs> that is basically right. like here's all the components, and then also, I guess, importantly, there's the here are the standardized ways that these components will operate with each other. So I think if I remember, you can you can uh, to use their metaphor, there you can do your batteries included, excluded, bring your own battery. Uh, situation yeah. so you can swap components in and out so you also need to specify how these things coordinate and have all that kind of stuff but moby right. is just sort of like it's uh it's like a mongolian barbecue there's like this buffet of all the stuff and you can choose and they always give you a menu of suggestions or you can go right. in there and just customize your own thing and uh, watch them cooking on a on a shield yeah and, and it's 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 still very early days and they're like you know what you could do with moby is you could build your own container uh, pl- platform like Docker does, um, and so Docker CE, I guess that's Community Edition, is closed source. Yeah, it's you know, and, and you can, but but it's free, right? So this is this is if you are you know a developer like me, and um, every six months or three months, I'm not sure what the release schedule is. Every you know every periodic number of months. Docker's going to push a stable release out in this channel. And, you know, that's what you will run. And, but I can't get it to the source and find out what's going on, except for some parts, right? But they're, they're all the, like, commercial trappings and, you know, probably the updater and, and you know, the UI and stuff are all closed source. Um, and then Docker EE Enterprise Edition is, you know, you is commercial only. You know, there's no like free version of that, and that's going to include like your, uh, I don't know what they're calling their products these days, but you know, they're the 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 container, the enterprise container engine that allows you to you know manage lots of hosts and you know tie it into LDAP and and all that fun stuff. Mm. Um, all that stuff is commercial only, so so you cannot get open source Docker anymore. But before I hate Matt Ray, I just want to like quickly uh run through the history because i think this is informative so go back in time at the beginning yep. docker was the open source project and dot yes. cloud was the company name that yes. was the, the that was sort of the beginning then yep. they took the name docker renamed the company docker the docker open source project still existed and started yep. some commercial offerings started to come out yep. and we fast forward to this recent announcement the company name is still docker the open source projects at least broadly are all under the umbrella moby and yep. docker is now the proprietary uh name of both their co- free product or their you know commercial or a community yeah, yeah. edition as Premium. well as their enterprise yeah. so i think that is okay i mean that is an incredible <laughs> just from a you know diver- diverging from the technology uh for the moment that is a incredible uh branding uh product marketing messaging navigation i I don't know i've quite ever seen anything like that um which you know i guess it is what it is Um, but i do think that's what's created i mean to me you know sometimes like names don't matter but this does seem to have created quite a bit of uh conversation amongst the uh the rank and file developer um, oh yeah just just around you know i I saw like bait and switch a lot and i was like you know i don't know you know, I've I go that far, but definitely, um, 
you know, I guess, you know, I guess maybe this is what, like, how much does a brand, does, you know, does a community make a brand and how much does anyone own a brand, right? And I think we're kind of seeing that play out where there was actually a lot of passion around sort of, um, if you will, ultimately, in my mind, right, ultimately really just taking that name, even though I'm sure they owned it the entire time and just sort of, you know, making it the commercial offers, offering and giving everyone a new name. It, was, it seemed like it was very uh, passionately discussed on various forums. Yeah, and, and, and so this is going to bring all sorts of things to a head. Like everybody who's saying they're Docker compatible or they're shipping Docker now has to like toe the line. They have to actually ship either the commercial product or, you know, there's no big D, little d anymore. There's only big D. You know, you can't right. say I'm shipping Docker and I mean the open source stuff. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Huh. You know, and so, so so people who are, you know, quote unquote shipping docker like like red hat who have these you know long-lived patch sets um that are you know it's a parallel fork almost what are they going to do are they going to you know say oh well when we say docker we mean moby you know wink wink nudge nudge um but you know i fully expect the docker folks to get uh, litigious about it and you know they got uh, they got ibm and and uh, microsoft to announce that they're shipping docker with everything um is that command line experience going to change or is, you know, cause, cause Microsoft has been, you know, they've been putting the Docker CLI UX into their container management stuff. So you say, you know, Docker run on a windows server 2016 box and you're running, you know, a hyper V container. Right. Uh, what are they going to do? I mean, how is that, you know, I, I'm, it's, Undoubtedly, there must have been some sort of conversation that sorted these things out before it happened because, you know, Microsoft and, and, and IBM both announced like, oh, we're putting Docker into everything we do. Yeah, right. Well, just, well I do uh, think this oh, is oh, the uh, board of directors decision, right? Like, I think what you're really seeing here, like somebody figured out that the, owning the Docker name and brand is potentially the most valuable thing inside that company. And there was clearly yeah. a a uh an acknowledgement of like it doesn't matter what kind of hit we got to take we got to own this thing because it's 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 really maybe i don't know 50 percent of the value of the company is probably tied up in owning that name or something i would put it very very high which is sort of yeah um just interesting and i can see why there's a lot of backlash amongst the community right because the the community giveth and the community take it away right i think they probably a lot of people felt like they helped build it and now it's sort of just kind of being taken um from them without their consent. So it's yeah. interesting to see it watch play out. And to add some yeah. Excelsior to that, I mean, I complained about context earlier. There, there's your there's your $2 word you can go look up, listeners at home. But uh, like, so so before we get to the, the, you know, they also changed the CEO around, which we should talk about a little bit before we get to recommendations and wrap up. But uh, so what what's your sense? I mean, I mean, feel free to weigh in, Brandon, if you follow this as closely as I'm sure Matt Ray does. But what, what's what's your sense, Matt Ray, for like how independent the uh, and look, I'm going to try to use the new phrases. How independent the open source community around Moby is, right? Like, if Docker went out of business, and you could, you know, get the money to rehire the developers who work at Docker, like, would everything be hunky dory? Like, is it uh, an analogous <laughs> to? An, well, I'll I'll use this example again. Well, it's Tomcat right, is an interesting example of this. Eclipse, which I'm sure no one who uh, is, you know, still alive remembers uh, the, the details of that. Like, there's a lot of open source... Com Linux is arguably like this, where the 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 thriving nature and the long-term stability of the, pr the open source project generally doesn't depend on one single entity, one commercial entity right. anymore. And so how, on a scale of 1 to 10, or, you know, whatever rating you want to use... How would you rate sort of like the Moby community as being standalone? Um, so, so I, I think kind of the, the closest parallel to this that I can think of right now is what happened with MySQL when Sun bought them. I oh, mean, when, that's when a Oracle, good one. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because Oracle started making these MySQL releases with, you know, release notes that would say things like, fixes bugs. <laughs> it's, it's like every every update of the Uber app says that, basically. The Uber and Yelp app <laughs> yeah. are like pretty much what they say. Right, but, but it started becoming less and less transparent over time. And, and so you had, you had these you know, breakaway products like Maria and 
Oh god, you know they're like, they're like three or four different. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My sequels out there now, and and you know the only official my sequel you can get is from Oracle, and so people use Maria or you know. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's a that's a great analogy, and 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 I think another one smaller though equally big is like Hudson to Jenkins, right? So like yeah. uh, it used to be Hudson, and then. Uh, Coincidentally, another Oracle also got involved in that and sort of like shit the bed on uh, capitalizing on that success. Or maybe it was a strategic bed shitting. Who knows? Uh, but it turns out that the community was independent enough that they could completely for- – I guess yeah. that's the way I should have asked it. That they could fork the code and go on to an extremely valuable, thriving uh, chunk of code uh, that becomes used. And so that that's sort of like the way that I would evaluate um, – the bait and switchiness, right? Like on, on the most positive version, right? If the Moby community could just like fork the code one day and everything would be fine, then it's kind of like, yeah, but you guys are cool. Right. And then in that case, the job of Docker Inc is just to build an open core version on top of it and try to be the chief capitalizer, owning the trademark of Docker, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's great. Happy trails. Uh, yeah. Versus if, if, uh, if the community couldn't fork and it would be sort of like, you really need the incorporated thing. Now, I don't happen to believe this, but the sentiment that like, oh, we've been baited and switched and my, you know, my just blew out my sandals and I got to go to the rainbow store and buy some new ones. Like, uh, you know, like there, I could be more, uh, uh, I could understand why community members who weren't paid by Docker would uh, be a little uh, befret. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Moby's probably going to be a lot more like Fedora and the fact that, all the core maintainers are, work for Red Hat. Um, Red Hat sponsors all their events. Um, you know, Red Hat pulls all the developers together annually. All the roadmap is set by Red Hat. Ninety percent of the development probably happens by Red Hat paid employees. Uh, but on the fringes, you have you know people who are like, I maintain these core services and I I run Fedora even though I don't work for Fedora. Yeah. Um, I heard this great um, way to on open source around this that I, I really like. It's I think I got it from an A16 podcast, so I have to go dig it up. But credit them or the people talking about. It. They said when they were talking about open source projects, is there's like there's often times people just kind of get you know obsessed with like what's popular. And so the proposal um, was to think about the health of a project is really measured two ways, both the popularity yeah and then the um they called it like the basically how many people are con- the health which is like how many people are contributing to it how often are you like uh recruiting new contributors um and then how diverse is that that population of contributors so like yeah. the example was um a really good one i thought was uh, when heartbleed came out with the open ssl it turns out like open ssl was like super popular right it was like maybe the most popular thing used for securing um you know different communication but it turned out it was very unhealthy i think there was like one and a half people working on it like you know and they were just and and so like when you think about it like to your original question coach i think going forward that would be the way to start to measure it i mean clearly um docker and the container and the moby is going to be popular at least at least in in the short run people are going to definitely be you know looking at it and talking about it like the question is in a year from now do we can we go to the con- contributor list and see like a whole bunch of different people doing it and a whole bunch of people maybe not working for Docker uh, involved and then you'd kind of get a sense of you know because I don't know yeah. what, like MySQL or this other stuff but um, you know my sense is like it's probably not so good on that data what did you say Maria what was the name of it again forgot it uh, Maria. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like that one doesn't seem like it's, it's you know I don't know. I'm just it'd be interesting to go look at stats of some of these projects like that. Well, I, I, yeah. So I heard that podcast too, and, and uh, you know, as always, most of the A16 podcasts are, are gold. Um, but the, uh, the the popularity versus the health of the project is definitely a strong indicator. I I, I kind of think that we start to see less folks contributing directly into Moby. I mean, I I feel like you know this is going to be one of those things that finally splits the Kubernetes and Mesosphere people away from, from, from Docker because, you know, they can't call it Docker anymore. And they were like, you know what? Um, we have a container engine in here, bring your your Docker container and we'll just use it. And then under the covers, it's going to be, you know, container D or something else, but it's not going to, it's, they're, they're going to stop pushing core Docker development. And it's going to be, Hey, we have, you know, rocket or whatever, and you know we because I think the I think the Mesosphere people already do that. Like they take the Docker 
uh, container and they just pull it out and put it into their container format. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I, it could be one of those forcing functions where people say, oh, yeah, we're Docker compatible. But, you know, they're going to put most of their investment into, you know, the same, the same way the CoreOS guys operate, right? Yeah. They're going to put, you know, they're going to make sure everything works, but they're going to put their investment into, you know, their own stuff. Well, so yeah, uh, this, uh, this, along this with thing. along with those changes, they also uh, it was it, was this yesterday? I forget it. Yeah, it was before. yesterday. Yeah. It was uh, they announced that there's a new CEO, so they got uh, they they got uh, Steve. I was like a I was like Steve. Steve. They got Steve, who uh, has been the CEO of Concur for a while, uh, and for I think I think if I remember reading, like 15 years, and uh, yeah, of course, I guess that means he was at SAP because I read I read enough articles to know that. Uh, SAP bought Concur for $8.5 billion. So, you know, congratulations. Um, Now, I use Concur frequently. A lot of people complain about Concur, but I think that's what, because, like, no one likes doing expenses. It's fine, right? It's no no Kayak. Did they buy Kayaks? They bought some company. They bought uh, Hip Chimp Monk or something. But... uh, <laughs> hip monk. Uh, but yeah, anyways, anyways, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of getting into how I would quickly evaluate the situation, right? Like, one, there's always uh, executive intrigue, and you're like, oh, why did that person get forced out? Oh, they didn't get forced out, and like, whatever. Like, I mean, I, I, that, that's kind of of no interest. I think there's a few. Like, I wrote a little uh, one of my little notebooky highlight things this morning where there's some more commentary, but. I think it's pretty fair to assume that it's sort of like a uh, uh, one, you know, it's kind of exhausting to be an executive. So it's nice to take a break. And then two, uh, sort of like, hey, let's do some business now. And uh, we just want we want someone who's familiar with the company to come in and uh, business it. I mean, I don't I which is all to say, like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It'll be fun to see them, uh, you know, do all their uh, haha business stuff. And see how see how even though it's not new to the organization, but someone who's in a new executive function actually uh, saying what to do on a day to day basis, what what they come up with. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I take like a slightly more cynical view of it. Like one, it's clearly the guy got fired, right? And it's like to me, this is the deal you do, right? Though, and this is the when you take all this money, and you know you want to grow, and I think it's clear, right? They even kind of said they're four hundred customers. I think this I don't know. I don't to me like the rollout of this branding did not go well. I don't think anyone yeah. from like the corporate standpoint can be happy. I think uh it it's and it's clear this guy, you know, he was forced out and so it's like but to me like I, I kind of look at it like if you're going to take all this money and you know you're going to go swing to be a 40 billion dollar company, there's going to be a lot of casualties all, along the way and I expect I'm sure this you know, as the new executive team comes in, there's going to be a lot of executive changes, and you know this this uh, friction with the open source community is only going to get worse in the short term. Now, maybe long term, they they do ultimately find the right model, but um, you know, for all of those people that love you know containers and love Docker, right, it's going to be bumpy, right, because this company has got huge expectations on it and needs to make a lot of money. And I think clearly with uh, all the recent IPOs of some different companies that, that you know there's there's definitely a board of directors investors who know a window of IPO is opening or is open right and they probably are smart to know that the stock market will not go up forever and there's going to be an intense pressure to show you know significant growth and earnings to get this company out and that's not yeah. you know no, necessarily and and, and, and to and to be clear yeah. I think I think uh I think I agree with all of your basically shit splattered version of my optimism <laughs> Uh, you know, in in the sense that, like, it's extremely rare that if you're the an executive at a startup that you would like to leave, right? Like, it's usually not something that uh, that you elect to do, especially if you don't have another awesome job lined up. Now, there is some conspiracy theory stuff you could do. I remember one of the interviews, the uh, our friend Steve uh, was saying that his last day at SAP was ap- April 30th or 31st or whatever. So one would assume that he had to give a four weeks notice as as at least the CEO of uh, of a major uh, part of the company. So if you pull the clock back, they would have had to predict that like, you know, I mean, maybe he was just leaving, but and but you know, you'd predict that the uh, the the tra- the movie stuff wouldn't have gone well and things like that, which would indicate that like the board would have uh, already a growing sense of things going well, and then you just do the thing where you let the executive have the swan song, swan of the last conference and everything. But I mean, I guess I guess to try to uh, polish some of the turds up, like you know, 
I I'm always interested to see companies sort of like go into the uh, the second CEO phase. Right? Like I was remembering, you know, MuleSource, which is now Soft, went through that, and you know, Luke over at Puffet hung on for a long time, uh, but mm-hmm. now he has a different CEO, and Chef is on its third CEO. Probably it would be second if there were other circumstances, I would imagine. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there 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 is there is there's a good history of infrastructure software startups. Um, after some amount of years shifting to a more traditional, uh, tradi- a more veteran uh, sort of CEO that you have leading the business. And I don't right. know, that's so it goes, but uh, but we'll so see what happens. Uh, and, and uh, well, so there you go. We don't really have time for the mid-roll. Maybe you can check the show notes and uh, there's some discounts you can have to conferences. Ooh, fun. Uh, anyway, I'll, I will mention one because it expires in 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 uh, in a week. I I got I sent this to y'all, but I got some discount that if you register for uh, OSCON and you use the discount the code Austin, you can get a uh, Expo extended thing. It's not a full pass, but you can get an Expo pass for free and go to all the Container Day things they have. So you can check that oh. out. So uh, Brandon, what are your recommendations this week? Well, one I would just say like I will be at Container Day this next week. So. Uh, Okay, maybe I'll see you, and maybe we'll see some of the listeners. Love to see them uh, in person and hearing hear of their uh, container stories uh, firsthand. So, but my recommendation between now, um, you know, I, I hesitate to resi- uh, recommend this only because I thought everyone would know. But I've run into enough people that have not listened to S Town. It's the new podcast from This American Life and uh, the people creators of Serial, and I would just highly recommend it. It's really fascinating listen um it i would go you know i know sometimes you know people are probably familiar with serial you know it's kind of the true crime thing i'll just say that this is completely different one all the episodes are released um at once uh two it's uh while it has some plot twists it's more like a, a novel i guess many people are uh commi- you know comparing it to like a william faulkner novel if i had been uh, smart enough to like read a william faulkner novel i would probably agree with that but i've not actually made one i'd actually compare it to uh, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest if you're into that kind of stuff um it's just an excellent listen really really fun to listen to it and then if you really liked it you can listen to this uh podcast interview with brian reed who is the uh, creator of it and basically he's your narrator and the guys at Longform did a real nice uh, long interview with him about how he created it how the story came about um it's just really well done so if you're looking for a break from tech looking for a break from um just something different or just you know kind of like talk podcasts like this listen to something that's highly produced really well thought out great narrative i think you'll really enjoy it so check out s town if you haven't you know uh as as a fancy pants liberal arts person i read a lot of faulkner and i like faulkner but i would say faulkner which is really hard to say without cursing uh, i i would say like faulkner is kind of like uh, getting really deep into uh like scotch right like you got to be really dedicated and be in for a rough ride and uh, you got to kind of enjoy it. There's, there's some Faulkner. I think a light in August is pretty pretty breezy, as it were. But like, it's good to downshift and just read Hemingway or Fitzgerald. You'll be fine. You'll get kind of the same uh, <laughs> the same early 1900s kudos and and like hipster cred. But you won't have to have put up with uh, you know Faulkner, who again I think is great. Well, I'll just say if you want to just downshift into neutral and just hear a great story, listen to us town. So you know, just just for throwing Bam. that out for everyone. Wow, to, way to bookend it. <laughs> How about yourself, uh, Matt Ray? Wow, it's hard to follow that up. Well, you know, um, I uh, spent a lot of time on vacation last uh, uh, month, so that was that was nice, very enjoyable. Um, but uh, one of the things I found while I was traveling, uh, not exactly for vacation in Japan, is you know I, I'd used Google Translate before, um, you know, like their website where you type in, you know, you paste in some text and it tells you what it says. But I hadn't used the video integration, and this just blew my mind. Um, so I'm, I'm at this uh, baseball game in, in Japan, and someone whips out their phone and points it at a billboard, and it does live on-screen translation Japanese to English, and it's amazing. I hadn't seen it before. Um, maybe I'd seen it and hadn't realized how well it worked, but... Uh, Check that out. Google Translate's mm. video integration. Is yeah, to, just... to to butt in as I'm want to do here. I uh, since AT and T has a uh, uh, a sane international data plan. You know, ten dollars a day for your same plan. 
I, I started, I had to remind myself, I started using that when I was in Paris and I concur, no pun intended. It is amazing. You just hold that up there yeah. and you're like, now I know what I'm ordering. And, uh, exactly. yeah, some, exactly. some of the things are a little goofy, but you can get the sense. And I imagine in Japan, like, you know, you, good luck figuring it's that really out goofy. from our, if you're from our old school Western world. Uh, so yeah. my, my recommendation, I have two recommendations. One, it's bereft, not berfert or whatever I was saying earlier, bereft. That's how you say that word. Uh, and, and then, uh, speaking of books that are easy to read from the early 1900s, I don't know why. I think I do. I, for some reason I was listening to, I was up late and I was listening to an Amy Mann interview and she talked about Raymond Chandler and I was like, oh, I remember him. And, uh, I went back to re, I'm almost done with it, to reread The Big Sleep, which is just like a delightful, it's like the first book in the, uh, the Marlowe series. And, and man, I read that once, but it must have been back in the era where I didn't really re- pay attention when I was reading. But man, it's a really good book. It's uh, it's easy reading, and there's a lot of if you like words, there's a lot of good phrasing and uh, stuff in there. I don't think they say the word gams once, so you don't have that stuff. But uh, it's a great book. You just go check out the Big Sleep, and there's a Kindle version that's basically like two dollars that has uh, a bunch of typos in it. But whatever, you can you can figure out when they mean to say in versus on. And, uh, thing, and, and, you know, insert a quote that's missing here and there because because uh, it's cheap. So with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to see the show notes for this episode, this being episode 93, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 93. I'll probably post this before I put the show notes up, as I was saying earlier. Uh, and it's always nice if you go into your Overcast or your iTunes and leave a review or hit that star thing. As always, thanks to our uh, our chip friend who's always recommending things in Overcast for us. He's, uh, he's doing, I assume it's a he. They are doing the good work. Uh, and uh, it's always good if you tweet about it or recommend it or just tell us about it at the various conferences we're at. That, that, uh, that makes us very happy. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.